0: Welcome to Glass Onion Minute. I am your host, Adil Kirchi, and for the last time this week, my guest is Ollie Brady. Hey, (laughs) Adil! Sorry, I've been been waiting to do that one. I really like that one. Um, Yeah, and we are Minute 85. That's runtime 12400 to 12459. Um, Again, as always, I'm going to just go... As quickly as I can, this is a very dialogue-heavy um, minute, uh, I'm most of it important and worth saying out loud, but I might gloss over a bit so we can come back to them. But yes, so we ended the last minute on the bench with Helen and uh, Benoit going over the past and the, the courtroom shenanigans, and uh, we ended with a death, and we start with a Troy so it's destroy andy and shield miles Braun. and if you don't want to go back to last week's episode it was all of the um all of the disruptors perjured themselves to destroy andy and shield miles Braun. um we so benoit continues we we you you and i we need to find out why motive who's was strong enough to go one step further and commit murder and then this will be tricky Everyone's whereabouts on the night of her death. Who could have been at Andy's house that night? Opportunity. Helen goes. Our suspects, mm-hmm. motive, mm-hmm. opportunity. Hey, this kind of looks like that I clue notepad. No yes, pair. yes. Because of course, during his little speech there, we're seeing him in his handwriting write their names. Uh, but then we see her notepad, and she just has uh, S M O and some uh, lines, uh, names under S suspects. You um, must be really great at Clue, huh? I'm very bad at dumb things. My Achilles heel: ticking boxes, running around, searching all the rooms. It's just a terrible, terrible game. Well, my students love it. Searching all the rooms. It's just a terrible, terrible game. <laughs> well, my students love it. Says Helen, um, and she taps her book, and we have a pause. She says, "I'm scared." Change a longer look with a sympathetic sympathy on Benwell's face. I understand. This is your last chance to back out. This is your last chance to back out. Uh, a bit ominously. Um, but yeah, in that scene, like I said, there's intercut um, between them them writing on their pads uh, and them being in their familiar bench scene, although a few interesting angles. Uh, but that's the minute. So, Ollie, what do you think of Minute 85? I really like it. Um, it's, it's As you said, it's a dialogue-heavy
1: minute. And with dialogue-heavy minutes, you really need something to keep people focused on what's going on because it's easy to lose attention or or just you're talking there's just a talking thing here um and we get a a doubling down of benoit with his pointy hands but she's Mm -hmm. writing at the same time um and then we get the little joke about you know i'm bad at clue clue is a ridiculous game which also just uh you're living in the uk at the minute and i am uh, i'm also irish um cluedo is the name of that game uh Cl- Clue just doesn't work doesn't make sense cluedo just just rolls off the tongue
0: this um, so this is a thing that uh, we're gonna have to so i of course i'm used to it being cluedo but grew up with it being clue um, but cluedo is a nonsense word <laughs> that is just the name of the game and clue is in fact a part of a mystery and indeed the thing you were looking for um I'm fine with it being you being more used to it. I'm just fascinated by the idea that, that it was named Cluedo to begin with.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's most right. I think I remember reading why and the guy said he wanted to appeal to younger members or younger people. So he called it Cludo. As in it it makes it kinda of like have this like fun vibe to it. Whereas if he just says Clue then you might mix it up with, I think there was a TV show or something or something like that along the lines that like, had a similar name. So it was basically like, let's make it a funner version of this. But again, that's the kind of thing which people will come out with 30 years after something happens and then act like it was a, a great you know marketing scheme all along.
0: So apparently, um, it was... Made in Birmingham by Anthony Pratt and uh, his wife, Elva, Um, and they presented it to an executive, Norman Watson, at Waddington's, and he bought it and provided the trademark of Cluedo, because it's a play on Clue and Ludo, which is another board game, but I didn't know Ludo is a Latin word for "I play." Ah. So it was, pro, and it's basically, it's basically Parcheesi. Yeah. Right. So Ludo and Parcheesi are the same, and it's uh, for you North Americans, the game Sorry is the same as those. And um, Ludo um, so is Ludo's I, I a forgot really about Ludo. common name, yeah. Yeah, so Ludo makes a lot of sense for Cluedo because it's a board game and it was a very popular board game at the time. Uh, I'm sad I hadn't connected that, um, but uh, <laughs> here we go. Um, I take it back, it makes sense. It's just a nonsense word, but it's close to an actual word in a different language. <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: um, the, but that I said, with her writing out the, the little... Um, Logic Puzzle, which we'll talk about in a second, I love Logic Puzzles I, like genuinely, absolutely love them and I know you teach logic so I'm assuming that you really enjoy them as well which will come to when we talk about recommends, I'm going to recommend a reality TV show to you that is mm. both a dating game and a Logic Puzzle and Interesting. people always go it can't be that good and then after they watch the first season, anybody I've ever recommended to is like, god damn it Oli that is so good, like yes it is but we'll get to that at the end um but yeah so she's writing out the little cluedo board um she's delightful uh she's really getting into it and again it's it really just speaks to how effervescent and happy as she is in comparison to any of the flashback scenes we had to andy even Mm. when she's excited about stuff she's still reserved and in this situation helen is not helen is like bubbly like yes oh this is just like clue I bet you must be really good at clue like this like kind of flow of conscious thing that's going on and mm. yeah and it's great to see uh, Benoit just get angry and as we know from watching the start of the movie he's not particularly good at Among Us which is another deception stroke find the murderer game in a group of crewmates or whatever so yeah I, I, I just I like everything pretty much about the scene because they've managed to make a way of giving lots of lots of plot uh, especially since it's twisting and turning the plot that we've already had in the movie. So they've managed to give us lots of plot, but they've done it in an interesting and engaging way. So yeah, really, really good minute.
0: Yeah, I, I think I agree. I think we've talked all week about the differences between uh, Jean-Anne um performances as Andy and Helen. And I think you're right. This just really makes it clear, especially with the like, the last bit of dialogue she has is like, I'm scared. Right. And it's not like she hasn't been scared the whole time. She just has this very bubbly, positive personality. And the I'm scared thing really reads as like, this has been weighing on her obviously the whole time. It's just in the moment, she's not like overcome by that. Right. Um, And I think that's really interesting. If we think of yesterday's minute where literally what, what we're really seeing is Andy being overcome with, with, um, Again, a big deal, losing 50% of this billion-dollar company, right? But And she snaps and, like, trashes her apartment. And you're like, in a very different way, there's just as much, like, charged emotion happening in Helen. And she's quiet and she says, oh, I'm scared. And obviously fear and anger present differently. But I think it really does show – it's a really good juxtaposition when you think of the two minutes side-by-side side of their temperaments. Yeah.
1: It really shows a difference. Um, Adil, I'm going to send you um, a message. Uh, mm-hmm. Or it's actually something you sent me, but I just so rather than you having to scroll back up. So if you take a look at that, um, so it should just popped up on your thing. And oh yeah, you cut to 11 seconds, 13 seconds, actually, probably a good example uh, mm-hmm. in your little video. And what I've sent you there is the napkin written by Andy. And mm. I've sent you an example of um Helen writing down Claire and Birdie's name. And what do you notice about the two handwritings?
0: The, just the difference in, in their like writing style. So if you take Helen,
1: yeah. So if you take Helen's writing, uh Helen is a primary school teacher or an elementary school teacher. Yeah. And she is writing exactly the way that my ex-wife write as an elementary school primary school teacher. Mm. And it is so different. Like this this clear capital letters, everything is capital, yeah. completely adjacent and adjunct and separate from the way Andy writes. And it's yeah. more of this just hammering home. These are the different two the two different sides of the paper. We have Andy, uh big, complicated ideas. She's really into what she's doing. She's planning out this stuff and she's writing in a mixture of cursive and she's only using capitals to highlight the stuff which is important everything else is this little cursor because she's jotting it down you know straight from her mind whereas we have Helen who's a more practical person who's used to doing stuff and she's lining out everything into the capital letters and again it's just little small things like this that just show how much effort was put into separating out the two characters from each other
0: yeah I actually want to yeah I wanted to talk about how um, again because she's a teacher She's just naturally, the grid she writes, you just see it sort of far off. It is. Yep. I wish I could. I mean, trust me, I'm, I teach logic and abstract maths. I do a lot of diagrams and stuff. I, my students wish I could draw lines that straight, <laughs> right? I mean, I write much more like Andy in the sense of, like, if you see it, like, the circle is is a good circle, to be honest, right, um, yeah. of, of on the napkin, which, again, you can see in the last minute. Last minute? minute mean, no, four. Yeah. Um, the, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, and, but it's offset. She didn't, if she started with it, it was not in the center. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at like, you know, she's got arrows in some places and not other ones, but the arrowheads are sort of, some of them are kind of a bit askew, right? The first one down from crypto management to exponential growth kind of has arrows like I do, where the arrowheads are not like really centered in one line's longer than the other, Um Things are kind of like shoved a bit, and so she's had to like curve around things, and it's still quite neat, but it's not planned, right? Exactly. And here's um, Helen, who like is start starts and has a sense of what I call board board control. Whiteboard control is what I call it. I say use whiteboard all the time, right? I'm I know it's important. I'm very bad at it. In in the sense of I I kind of scatterbrained move things around, but she already she has a very clear idea of the landscape she's writing in, and she's like motive, opportunity right. She's like suspects motive opportunity. She also realizes it's a small notebook, so is not is like writing first names and kind of knows exactly how much to shove them in, even before like she's already thinking of all the names you can tell because they all shove in the same spot. So her line is clean and there's space before and after each name it just looks clean because she writes all the time presumably on a board and sometimes on papers yep. for students yeah so she just as someone who writes all the time to communicate with people who may need it as clear as possible right she just like you said has this natural control clarity while andy is writing mostly for herself and he's just herself dumping yeah. an idea out right
1: Yeah, and it just, as I said, it just shows, again, the just clear difference between the two characters. One of them who, right, there's no way to say that if you end up as an elementary school teacher, you're just as successful as your sister who runs a $10 billion company. You, you can't, right? I mean, coming from a person who's also an educator, that's not an insult to teachers. It's just a, a fact, right? If one person is worth 10 billion and the other person is still teaching elementary school you haven't achieved the same levels of success but under capitalism exactly and if we were to take and i am a severe capitalist but if you take um if you take the two um if you were to ask me if i'd have seen both sets of writings and you said which of these two is a better student i would absolutely gravitate towards Helen's style of producing the information there and I don't know maybe it's again just Mm. from the fact that I teach physics but that is clear That is concise as you said all of the information is there all of the thing looks as if it's been planned and laid out as opposed to what Andy had which seemed like oh yeah oh also this year needs to come out from this thing and again we go back to mind map versus logic box right and yeah Mm. again I, I really enjoy these like I'm I'm going to say this is subtle and the reason it's subtle is because there's three minutes between them and, and you only see each of them for half of a second but because we're yeah. paying attention to them and looking at each of these little things in detail it is almost heavy handed how different the two sisters are but again you have to take into context that your average person isn't spending 45 minutes talking about minute 84 to 85 of a movie
0: yeah but again, I mean, I'm, I really have stressed stress this all week, but like, we, you'd be surprised how much your, um, your brain picks up, right? Um, and so it's that, that consistency and those subtle cues that really make the experience bigger. And I don't think it's because some people pay more attention. I think the reason why a lot of people like this is because they're picking up on that tightness. And that attention to detail, even if you couldn't tell why. Like first time I watched this movie, I was like, "Oh man, that was great!" And I'm really like some of the details, but like nothing approaching to the nonsense I've talked for a- <laughs> hours at this point. Maybe ten hours. I might. I, well, I'm gonna crest the ten hour point of talking about this. Um, I've already crested the ten hour point of time of this show. I think that's a weird thought. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> And I still haven't talked to my partner properly about this movie. Um,
1: <laughs> Have they watched it?
0: Yeah, they watched it um, when they were home for Christmas with their parents and then they didn't want to spoil anything. Um, and then I watched it and then immediately recorded a bunch. And, um, you know, this, it's, it's almost like the same thing you were saying about um, when it leaves the zeitgeist or on streaming, if it's not right away and it immediately It's like, well, now I've just watched it and talked to my first... You know, I've talked for a few hours to someone about minutes 10 to 15. We're in different pages about this movie. <laughs> um. Uh, but I might... Yeah, it's reminding me I should uh, talk to her about it. Because uh, I'm really curious, because we both really liked Knives Out, and that's actually one of the movies we talked about when we were, you know... Just getting together, out. yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Let's... So what I like, so I really like, uh, we'll get to it, but I just want to talk about how you were talking about like a ways to get the attention. And I think that not only the cutting between the bench and the notebook and back helps keep people paying attention to the dialogue because it's like, oh yeah, you know, we're talking about motive and we're seeing a list of names, right? And it's like, these are the people whose motives we want to think about. What do you think about motive? Like that's a nice little cue, right? Yeah um especially considering the minute it started with we we know they did a bad thing so we just want to clarify why um but i also really like how many different angles we get at the bench to keep it interesting yeah. but also like so like we start with um you know that same sort of close in shot where where you know that we ended with kind of right which is like um we're over on the side of um, Helen, and but we've got Benoit kind of half turned in, so you're seeing much more of his chest. He's sort of filling the frame, um, but then we st- we see the you know miles um, being written, um, and then we cut to a, a, a straight on shot as if you were on your knees in front of the bench, maybe three feet back, right? Yeah. So we're getting I like that it's low, so we're getting some depth along. Like if you look at Benoit's legs, you're seeing. Along them, it shows how far back he is and also how tall he is. Um, it just makes you... You're not confrontational because you're a bit below, right? You, it, it's a very sympathetic angle for them. Yeah. And Which is important because he's leaning towards her and he's doing his gesticulating. And I like that it's not quite as, like... He's still doing the not soft hand. His hand is closed in the fist. But last time he was doing that, he was, like, staring off really intensely into you know three feet into a spot in front of him and he was like kind of you called it staccato i think yeah um and now he's doing that gesturing but it's more yeah soft on beat but not like crushing the keys and leaving right um if we were speaking about piano um and I, i really like that like keeping the hand closed as the notion of he's in he this is what he really wants but him him being a little calmer and um, because he's just explaining this is where we're at right yeah and those the
1: cuts that you were talking about i think the six or seven different shots of them in this in this one minute and mm-hmm. they're very quick like just straight away instant while continuing on the conversation um if you look at six seconds I think it's six seconds, but I mean, where, where I'm watching this is a little bit awkward. So it could be just five, somewhere between five and six seconds for you. And it's Benoit has just brought his two hands down into his crotch. So it's sitting between his legs. Yeah.
0: Uh, oh, I they, hope you were going to mention what I was th- going to say, but go on.
1: Right. Just to point out, they cannot hide how massive he is. Oh, okay. you're um, he, he is yeah. like, God damn. I'm looking, like there is no gut there because he's sitting straight up. And mm-hmm. his pecs are huge. <laughs> like he is a muscular, muscular dude. And it, I think, and that, I think that's why this this shot here lasts for a second, maximum a second. And there's another it, one of them later on. And it's just so funny to me that so when you compare that to actually, how he looks when he stands up, it's so good.
0: It's actually about three seconds, but it's oh, but it's because he's curved, turned, and yeah, this, yeah, when he's square on the camera. But what I really, really like. Um, is there's a gust of wind and it blows her the, the bottom of her dress to flourish. Yeah. And so when he's the biggest in the scene, there's a distracting element. To catch
1: you oh, it's brilliant,
0: like. Um, and I don't know how much of that is was planned to like for this reason, but it's just a really nice touch because she's not saying anything in that scene. He's talking to her. He's like, "We need to figure out the motive." Whatever. I can't remember where where in that speech he's in. Yeah. And j- and to not make her to keep her or make her receiving that or to have a focal shift because she's important to this scene without making her speak by just having the wind come hem he stops saying the thing he relaxes out and then our focus is drawn to her and she's being contemplative right she's thinking about what he's just said and to that having the wind blow her address is all you need when both the actors are portraying their moods so well yeah. it's just like I said the team together just makes this really magical thing which you don't often see right you you would think they'd have to have her say a thing. Oh even yeah. just hmm right? Like that's what you would see in a different movie. And in this movie she just looks contemplative and the rest of the team is like, just in case you are picking up on her face Look at her.
1: Yeah. And then when it cuts back from her writing, that's mm. when she gets to the Oh well, this is very much like Clue. And that her face goes from thoughtful to happy like the, it's a really quick transition again just she changes from looking at it kind of questioning i'm I'm making facial things on a, mm. on an audio podcast but she goes from contemplative to hey hey look it's like that clue
0: yeah it's really like a it's a moment of her like doing the writing of the things and then once it's done looking at him like oh that's what this is um i really like when he is saying opportunity um She's writing, B-O. and we get another of those side shots, but it's a little tighter in than the one we started with, where we're seeing mostly just his chest and her shoulders, and then him being more lit up and her being lit up on the on the face. But she is, her eyes are down on the page. She's you can see her body moving because she's still writing while he says the thing with a bit of an opportunity with a grave look on his face. But uh-huh. it's to no one, right? It's to us, but it's not. It's to no one. He's just saying opportunity. Um um, and then and then it cuts into her titling uh, on column on the grid, which already has both grid lines because she knows she's making the thing the out. thing out, yeah. She's planned it. Again, if I was doing that, it would be there'd be the one line on the left. I'd write O and then I'd write the right line on the right. Yeah, I've forgotten to put one in. Ah. <clears throat> and yeah. then you end up with the, the fifth
1: box is actually the fourth box yeah. in two.
0: Yeah, and what and yeah, and then we both then so as soon as she writes the O, we can't write like you said. There's the, there's the whole dynamics of the scene are switching between page and bench, All right? But now we're actually um, on Benoit's side, slightly in front of the bench, and so he we're getting mostly him on the side with just a bit of angle to get a little more of his chest, but that helps slim him a bit because we're seeing profile, but gives a little of his face but he's actually just a little he's out of focus not totally blown out but he's out of focus the only things in focus is uh you know between just just a bit uh i'd say an inch into uh helen's shoulder all the way out to the inner part of her arm maybe the outer part but like most of her body's in focus and most importantly you can see her her face and she's again being lit up by ostensibly this lamppost uh in front and to the right um, but you do see the pages of a notebook, and I really like the the, the detail. This notebook has been used. Yeah. Some some intern or whatever, right? Someone in stage management props got this notebook and then just opened it and fiddled with it, et cetera, and opened all the pages and cracked the spine because those pages look used. It, the notebook looks used, flipped through. Because on this shot, you can see the delineation. It's not just like a brick of stuck-together pages. You can kind of see um, gaps between them, the sides, you know, don't look all that great. There's a curvature. It's just a, again, one of those touches of
1: yeah. I it's one of my the whole team f- doing the thing. Favorite words for movies is this similitude, which is it feels like it's lived in, and mm. that's the kind of thing that really adds to it. So, like, um, like the the greatest movie prop of all time from um the Last Crusade or from um Raiders of the Lost Ark is Indiana Jones's little book, mm. and that is. Every single page looks like it's been written on. Look, tons of it, when, when, if you see the actual prop itself, tons of it is just nonsense. Like it's just mm-hmm. stuff they've stuck in. But they've made it look like it's been used. Every time he takes it out of his pocket, as you said, it looks like something which has been used, stuck in a pocket, stuck in a drawer, stuck on a table. been. I, I, it's the kind of thing a person has in his Thing, takes it out and just writes into the bottom corner because something comes to them in the middle of a meeting somewhere they just write it down, and that's what this little notebook. It's a little smaller thing, and also I love the fact that again it looks like the kind of notebook that a primary school or an elementary school teacher would have in their employ. It's just a small notebook. In Ireland, it's um, for anybody who isn't actually looking at it right now. We would call this a tables notebook because students would sit down and practice their tables, so they'd practice their spelling in it. So it's either your little spelling notebook or your little spelling or your little table notebook that you would have on your uh, any anyone who ever went to an irish primary school will know about the spelling test you had on a friday and the tables test you had on a friday in primary school that's exactly the kind of notebook that she's holding in her hands right now it's just not
0: read like the irish ones right um i want to say just contrast those with i think um the notebooks in seven are meticulously made um and like really good detail and they flip through a bunch of them and you see all kinds of creepy stuff and if you pause it you can read it and it's not just nonsense um but those are actually quite pristine looking books yes they, and then they've it's, been it's touched. A, yeah and it's like is it that he just writes these screeds and puts them away or is it just that they didn't like beat up the book enough which i uh i i, I like thinking about that again just um because it's I have a suspicion, but, like, you can read it the other way if you're being charitable. If you well, want to know what my well, suspicion is. What I always is. thought about <laughs> was, um, it, <laughs>
1: if there's no mistakes in them, and no matter how good you are how perfect you are at writing, you're going to make a mistake, you're going to just scribble it out, or you're going to put a little bit of white out, or tipex as we call it over yeah. here. And there's nothing of that in um, John Doe's notebooks. Yeah. So... If he's 15 pages into one of those notebooks and makes a mistake, does he throw it out and just start again? He's a monk in um, the 10th century writing an illuminated version of the Bible. And if he makes a mistake, that entire chapter has gone. We're starting again. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Maybe that's why he doesn't open them again, just in case he finds a mistake and would have to rewrite them. Maybe that's what it is. His OCD is like, do not touch
1: it. That one's done. Let's just assume it's done.
0: Um, yeah Um, but yeah so the notebook's really good and even the way she holds it right she's like breaking the spine to display it it just shows a it feels like a familiarity with the prop Um, and so this is the probably my favorite part of the dialogue Um, because we rarely get this with them especially because um, Benoit's such an attentive listener you just get back and forth and Mm. they tend to get that in movies but at like uh, so at 24 seconds or 23 seconds is where she goes she has a realization and again, she brightens up she goes, hey um, um, this kind of looks like the clue notepad Um, and when she says like the before she even gets clue notepad out she goes uh, Benoit goes yes 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 and he's like still trying to deny it or like get in front of it um when she says you must be very good at clue that huh mm-hmm. and again that how huh is very much her like southern um accent or like dialect uh and and that's when he goes. I'm very bad at dumb things. It's my Achilles heel. But I really like that he's like he sees it coming, and it's so annoying to him that this is the one time he's going to talk over someone. To, and it's just being like, yes, yes, I had it. like this fucking <laughs> thing again. Ah, this thing again.
1: I uh, I have a very personal thing about this, and I'm going to give a shout out to one of my students who I'm going to recommend listening to this. So, Joey, this is for you. Um, I run a chess club in my school. And obviously you get a lot of very bright kids and um, the bright kids want to come down and practice chess and play chess. And then we go to competitions and we're we're quite good. We're not the best in the country, but we wouldn't be far off. And um nice. we go down and uh, every now and then new kids will start. And new kids come in and we try to encourage them as much as possible because like, we're talking about kids who've never played chess before. And obviously... Or to me, it's obvious. One of the first things you want to do in the lineup to get a kid into playing chess is you get them to play draughts, and a lot of children haven't played draughts either. So it's like a very basic version of chess, right, with fixed movements, and you can only do certain things. And when the board opens up more, you can do more spectacular things, etc., etc. So we get them to play draughts. The chess captain, by the way, checkers for the the North Americans, Americans. and um, the chess captain Joey. Uh, very very good one of I mean his I would say his his chess score chess level is probably slightly better than mine at the minute because I haven't played in a couple of years but he's good he's very good shockingly bad drafts, stroke checkers there and I mean incredibly bad it's like he does not see it coming he can't predict what's going on and I've seen him trying to practice and I've seen him playing with kids who have never played chess before who wipe the floor with him. And the way Benoit acts from about the thirty-second mark, where he gets uncomfortable, he starts crossing his leg, he starts like, "Yeah, what?" You know, you can see he's angry. That's exactly. And Joey, I want you to listen. That's exactly what you look like when a kid asks you to play drafts. Is he's like, "I don't. It's a stupid game. I don't want to do it. It's nothing." And the way Benoit acts (laughs) is so exact, like push it it's my Achilles heel Chicken boxes and it's just so good and he is clearly somebody like he must have talked to somebody who or has known about being frustrated about something maybe he's thinking about doing press for um, No Time to Die for three and a half years in a row mm. but he just looks so angry at the prospect of having to talk about playing Clue and I love it I, did, I just think it's brilliant I think everything about the way he acts in that scene is exactly what I would expect somebody who is let's be realistic too smart for the game of Clue and that's not our Cluedo that's not me shitting on the game of Cluedo it's a brilliant game it's really well designed but for somebody like Benoit Blanc he will feel yeah he like to him it's random 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 random
0: and in his world nothing is random yeah um, I will say, um, yeah, the petulance, this is what I wrote down in my notes. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really good. I, I like that he, um, knows it's Achilles heel. He says that, like, it reminds us that, like, there's traits of his that are close to some of Miles' traits, but he doesn't have that ego. Hmm. He has an ego about the thing he's good at, probably, although we, like, it not really come out that much, um... I know the reason why I say that is because um, earlier in the movie, right, he, he, like, breaks the whole conceit of the weekend game, and you're, like, part of it is um, him playing himself as a role to, like, solve the actual mystery we're just finding out about now, right? Um, but part of it, I think, is his genuine, like, oh, I solved the puzzle. It was real fun. I am good. At, I'm good at solving puzzles. Like, when he <laughs> talks to... Miles, as they go go up the stairs to the glass onion, or he, and he's just like, "Oh my god, this is the best bu- rush I've had in ages. This is amazing, incredible. Thank you so much." Like that felt genuine, even if the reason he did it was like for for I, there was an alternative motive. One of the motives was was just this is fun. I'm gonna do it. When when he solves
1: the fake murder uh, accident that um, Miles had set up. Mm. before seeing any of the clues and he's just like this is, how this is, is that what it was is this what it's going to be he oh. is so giddy and childlike in that moment I was just like that is so good yeah. it's brilliant I had the privilege of
0: recording that oh chunk. fantastic so if you are interested go back to episodes look at the longest run times um, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say I have one Cluedo story that I want to share which is Uh, it was my sister, my oldest sister's favorite game growing up. Um, and we, we finally convinced my dad to play with us. And within like four, like not even four turds, he won consistently. Uh, and we were just like, how, how is he doing this? What is going on? Uh, and he retired champion. And then he, after he revealed the way he won. Yeah was the simple observation of the Cluedo paper is split into three sections, the top section being weapon, room, person, whatever it is, yeah, right? Yeah. And so as people were checking, et cetera, he was not just tracking people's guesses, et cetera, like we all were, he was actually looking at where people would write things down and doing an, a meta, an, an extra level of... Um, You know, you're supposed to hide your paper, but you can, if you don't, if you hide your paper, but like still are writing at the top of your page, he was using that as like really concrete evidence of that's the thing that they were writing. And so it was just destroying the, the like, or possible state space with these observations and just being leaps ahead of everyone. And so then we all started hiding ourselves and doing it. But it was just like a really nice. Yeah, my dad was too smart for the game, at least too smart for playing the game with his, like, kids. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I really think that is an example of, of like, how games can... What I like about games is is not the rule set, but the people using the rule set, which is yeah. why I like hidden information games a lot, right? like Coup or The Resistance or things like that, because hidden role games uh, or... Um, have that extra element where you have to pay attention to who's saying what when rather than just the mechanics of a game where it's you know it's not like I'm not saying snakes and ladders which is like deterministic but even a lot of games are indeterministic but you know the person the way they are what they say doesn't matter just what they do within the game and that's like it was a great example to me which I've will always remember which is you can turn (laughs) the one type of game into the other type of game with the right types of observations, yeah, right? Yeah, if you knew what you're doing, yeah. I um, I, I love
1: uh, social deduction games, like I genuinely do. And I, I. it's not even because I'm exceptionally good at them or anything. I don't think I am. But I just love the fact that sometimes you can win those games by just deciding to tell the truth the whole time and people assume you're lying. So... Oh, yeah. Like for example, uh, my favorite game of all the board games is a game called Coup. Uh, I particularly I literally it. just
0: said Coup. Yeah, oh yeah,
1: I love it. it. It's just such a great game. And sometimes I will go through an entire game of Coup and never lie. Like so you might have to lie at the very end when it's one on one, like because like the, the way Coup works. But the rest of the game, even with ten players and teams, and you just tell the truth. And the amount of suspicion that will come onto you just by the fact that people, like oh, I've got the captain. Well, I don't believe you do, have the Captain. Uh, one, mm-hmm. one last thing I will say, Edin, is uh, just on Clue. I we were playing with a friend once, uh, Joe, uh, and Joe was a great, great lad, primary school principal, and he's a really nice man. He was. I was chatting to you about him yesterday. He's trying to be a comedian, mm. and Joe, um, Joe brought us around to play Clue, or not Clue, sorry, to play Clue, though. And he said, "All right, we'll play a couple of games of do Not worry about it. So we're all starting off, and we're we're going well. Joe wins mm-hmm. the first game." and then we start again, and then Joe wins the second game, and I was sitting there going, he is very good at this game, and he, you know, at the end, we were t- tidying up, and we were finishing up, and I was helping him put it away, and I said to him, oh, Joe, you're missing, um, you're missing, a. Uh, has, has anybody got Mr. Green, and Joe said, oh, there is no Mr. Green, uh, we lost it a couple of weeks ago, I was like, all right, yeah, no Mr. Green, Um it doesn't also appear to be a rope because yeah there's no rope either and i was sitting there, i said to him well that me explain why you're winning so many of the games joe and he said well, no okay, sure that wouldn't make much of a difference like it, it wouldn't make much of a difference and i went the fact that you know that there's two key parts missing from the game and the rest of us don't means that we're working with a possible set of something like three hundred and forty possible combinations and you're working with a set of like 210 possible combinations straight away you have a 50% chance above us of winning the game and he couldn't get that concept he's like oh but sure I mean you all would have spotted that there was no Mr Green you're like well we didn't how would we how would we know this like we all there's literally
0: no way to spot it exactly and
1: he I said he just was not getting it and then I said to him like how many times have you like would would you consider yourself to be really good at clue? And he was like, "Yeah, I win like seventy percent of the time with the family." I was like, "Do they know that there's no Mister Green?" Oh, I think they do. He's like, "He just doesn't get it." So yeah, taking something like that out of the equation just absolutely changes the chances of somebody winning
0: the game. Yeah, that's really funny. I mean, that's why like some of those observations, if you like, you luck out on them early in the game makes it really hard for you to lose. Yeah. For the same reason.
1: Like, if you ask the right question in the first, you can solve clue in two. I think the quickest you can do it is two, to be 100% certain. And it just depends on the run that goes through. So you have to have certain pieces of equipment. You have to ask. And if you get through twice with nobody answering your question, you can pretty much guarantee you have the, have the piece. Like. And it's just so funny to me that... He didn't get that this was making a big difference. But people. Um well, that's really funny. One last thing about the scene. If you cut to mm. the 39 second mark, yep. I absolutely love the look Janelle Monet is giving um him in this. Like it is just you're full of bull. Like it is a real like looking yeah, so, up
0: Yeah, so this is the sort of end of that chunk, right? So he says taking boxes, running around, searching all of the rooms, it's just a, first of all, I'm going to just terrible, terrible game. I love how he says terrible the first time. <laughs> terrible. Um, and this is the end of his little petulant um, Joey-like um, moment. And then you're yeah, out. She like, yeah, she's like, don't knock the game. The game's fun. My students love it. But yeah, you're right. Because she, she. this is the first time she leans towards him and she's like leaning kind of torso so her head's tilted mm-hmm. and she just tilts it up just enough so she can look up at him and she puts right, the that eyebrows like, up really um hopefully i described it well enough uh, for those of you who aren't on this zoom call um <laughs> but yeah it's so good well my students love it um and then she like snaps up and is like i told him and then looks down at her notebook and we got a bit of a another wind in her um bottom of her dress and then we cut to a, a side shot, which again, what I really like about that is, we went from the side shots from Benoit's side, where he, the whole of his head was in the picture, and then the last one we talked about, where he was kind of out of focus. We were cutting him at the forehead, standard Hollywood shot. But now we're cutting just 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 barely part of the tip of his nose. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really like again, this is like reframing. We should be paying attention to her entirely. He's just there. That's what that, that slight cut-in tells us because we're not seeing his eyes. Or we're not going to read much of his expression. He's still out of focus. You can see, actually, I think the edge of his arms in focus to get a sense of where the focal plane is. And she's looking suddenly after that, like, bit of a, like, saucy sort of tell-off kind of joking, but not really, like, I've caught you. Like, don't be, don't get high on your horse. It's a fun game. Look. Now she's looking wistful and a bit forlorn, maybe. Yeah, and she sort of taps the book a couple of times, and that's when she goes, "I'm scared." Yeah, and it's the way, and then sort of the way she looks
1: at the book because I think it brings focus away from. So she was, oh, this is just like Pluto. but then she looks down and she reali- I think, I think what we're getting is she's realizing this is about the person who murdered her sister, and yeah. they could do it again, so she's
0: scared yeah the game me part ends right and then the real world comes crashing in when she's like processes this cluedo map isn't about who actually who is the victim in oh um is it the owner of the it's the it's owner a party of the house. A manor, he, right? he calls
1: the per- person up he does have a name god it's been years since i played cluedo in fact it was playing with joe that time um it put me off the game uh it's been years since i played it oh interesting dr
0: black in the uk and mr body in the north american American
1: i knew that's i was going to say mr body and i went it's definitely not mr body over here like i'm trying to
0: who who was it yeah so dr black that's who it is that's super interesting sorry i didn't mean to steal your thunder um but yeah and like like yeah the the mr body is in fact andy right that's the moment Mm -hmm. she's having and like you said in that moment she's also realizing like they're a murderer yeah they're going to be where i'm going we're going to be uh, somewhere on an island with them and other people who don't like who my sister and thus me right and again this is why i think the her temperament is so well like portrayed here right because like that's Mm a that's a realization that's happening in this scene just to circle back to what we said at the beginning But she's not like, she's saying, I'm scared and being really calm about it versus being like, oh, crap, what, what am I doing? Like, there's no panic, which would would be the, like, the fear-based version of, like, Andy snapping in anger and trashing her house, right? They are very different people who look exactly the
1: same. (laughs) And then it cuts to Benoit and... Benoit, mm-hmm. so it cuts back to Andy being out of focus and Benoit in focus in the background. Mm-hmm. He's got like a concerned look on his face. He's like, well, I do understand. And then if we cut to, or if you just move forward to about 58 seconds, mm-hmm. 59 seconds, this is the first time from the back that scene from the back of the bench where Benoit doesn't have his arm draped across so he's not at an angle. And you mm-hmm. finally see how much bigger he is to her. And at that point, he had just been basically saying, I'll look after you, right? I'll take care Mm -hmm. of you. And in this scene here, he is huge. Like, not to, the the word has lost meaning, but he becomes like a daddy figure in this thing. He's going to look after. And I think this is really well done in comparison, or sorry, especially since the entire motivation for this whole 10 minute section Is the fact that he's just after finding what appears to be her shot. So Mm -hmm. this is then jumping to him having this flashback. So this flashback is told from her point of view. But it's also from his point of view because he's just after coming across Helen's body in the mansion. So he's taking on the role here of... The big protector. Look at how much bigger mm-hmm. I am than you. You're the little figure, and I'm the big person. In this one, and we're at this point actively thinking that she's dead. Mm. So he has failed in his protective duty at this point. So,
0: so we're both were we talked a lot about the the very similar shot um, in the previous last time we saw thing, this yeah. this shot with like just the edges of them in in a lit up and parts of their faces. Now both of them are looking forward mm-hmm. and not. Because they were talking before, so we were hitting profiles, so we were getting together, the edge yeah. of their face. Now they're a bit obscured, in fact, and he's slightly more less obscured than her, which I think is important given what you just said contextually about this is actually him reflecting on their conversations the day before and the fact that her face isn't there and she's a bit more in shadow at this point, having gone through the whole flashback chat, whatever, and him being like, a, you know, him saying everything would be okay... Uh, this and the, like he just said, this is your last chance to back out, and she's sort of darkened because maybe she should have taken that. But also, he's big, and you can see why he's offering that protector role. But actually, what I think really changes that the mood of the scene is when his arm was out, they felt it felt like a connection between them, and now they don't share an eye line, really. Yeah. But also, he's so big, but there, but it almost like, there's difference in size, like just really puts a hat on how much space is between them between on the bench. The two the, they yeah. sat a full person with a part. And he was closing that space with his arm and gesturing and like making it dynamic. But he hasn't moved, right? So they were never sitting beside each other. Yeah. And now when we're at a point where he's like, the whole point is like, it'll be okay. You know, we're just going over our plan. We need to, you, you know, the start of the scene is we, you and I, we need to find out why, the motive, who's a right? This is their plan together. And then she says, I understand. Uh, or she says, I'm scared. He says, I understand. This is your last time to back out. This is the shift back to we're about. I, I can't remember what happens next, but we're clearly going to shift back to the present where we think she's dead. Yeah. Um, and this is him. So from the flashback from his point of view it's like i offer the protector role but i'm far. i'm too, I'm too far away yeah i and, was
1: too far away and that's what happens in the scene where she gets shot he's yeah. late
0: to the party yeah um it, yeah it's really great and i got to say um you pointed this out before we started recording but this is also the first time we see the lighthouse sort of rotate in and so we actually get the full brightness of the spot of the light in the middle Rotating in in this like one this like second long scene, so it almost looks like a sun rising, and then it like um, we end with it just f- dead on, uh, see. which again to me actually just it it sits in that just all that negative space between them, and so what we would think a lighthouse being like this is an important thing, this protects people. Actually, what this lighthouse light is doing is highlighting. The gap between them, yeah. which again is, I think, a symbol of he was too late.
1: Yeah, and uh, what's really good about it is, um, just uh, you got me doing this now, uh, we're I'm sliding through um, using the little slider at the bottom of the screen, and when the light shines directly into the center of the cent- center of the thing, it brightens her. So if you watch it, she brightens up; he doesn't, and the, even the back of her hair brightens up a little bit so it's a very 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 subtle change oh, that, that is she yeah. gets brighter but he doesn't and uh, it's putting then the focus back on to her and uh, i but see this is the mad thing about this right is when you're doing these minute by minutes i would love to find out that rian johnson does a commentary on this movie at some point and he's just like yeah i like the shot it's the two of them sitting on the bench innit? it <laughs> yeah he just he's just the tuner on the bench. there's a light in the diff- in the distance. What's the light represent? Oh, I just needed it to be bright
0: yeah, we just we we wanted the lighthouse was there where the bench was, <laughs> and then I'm there going, oh but look at how
1: it just slightly accentuates the the lighting on her hair,
0: bringing her more into focus. Brian Johnson just the lighthouse was there, I mean. So the area of philosophy I work on is not aesthetics, but I will say, like, the there's a huge school of thought that says that the fact that that's what happened and that's a read of it, it matters more than whether it was planned. But, yeah, I would love to know uh, how much of these little details were consciously made, we'll say, because there's also yeah. that that middle ground of um, that's why they like the shot. That's why they picked the shot. They might not have known, right? And we're picking up on the same type of thing. Um, so... I think we should wrap up um, here, do our plugs, and then we'll, because it's a Friday episode, we'll then jump to spoilers and talk about the whole film uh, and our thoughts afterwards. Um, so, uh, thanks again, Ollie for joining me this week. This was a ton of fun. Yeah, it was an absolute um, pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, and uh, do you have any plugs you want to do? I would plug Judging Book Covers, uh, book club podcast
1: where we pick a book, we read it, and then we discuss it every month. And then it's listen if you're listening and you think we get it wrong tell us it's the best thing when as long as you're being polite don't go you f and b how dare you say such a thing about this book all right yes we're not going to agree on every book but listen i know i have bad taste in books sometimes you don't have to tell me in a mean way um and also mediaeval. uh listen for the gladiator episode it's really good um sarah ifdecker for some reason um and sarah i love you you know this but um you hate ridley scott in a way that I don't understand why you hate Ridley Scott this bad. Gladiator is a good movie. I'm not saying it's a great movie or a perfect movie, but to give it the score you gave it out of five is ludicrous. And the last thing I would plug is, we're just talking about Clue. Uh, There is a reality TV show called Are You The One? It is on Netflix. It's on Amazon Prime. And they take a computer-generated set of couples, so people send in their their... um preferences they answer like a set of questions there's like 200 questions whatever it's like kind of like um e-harmony or whatever it is and they take 20 singles 10 boys 10 girls there was one season where everyone was gender fluid that was also brilliant and made it much much more difficult for somebody who's playing a logic game uh, where Mm -hmm. boys could pair with boys and girls could pair with girls and you know any combination of the two that was really awkward but um effectively they put them down they have to find their perfect matches and they do it by hanging out and playing games together and drinking together and see how it again. and the conceit is that at the end of every episode they sit together so 10 sets of couples they sit together and then a set of lights come on and if they have 10 couples sitting together correctly as the computer has decided the 10 lights will light up If two couples are sitting as the computer has decided are perfect matches, then two lights will light up. So it then becomes a logic game where you have to remember who was sitting beside who, how many lights came on, and then if it changes up the next week, who was sitting beside who, how many lights come on. And by the time it comes around to eight episodes in, you have so much information that as a maths person, uh, it's just heaven. So you get... The perfect combination of beautiful people getting drunk, playing, you know, adventure games and, you know, doing what beautiful people who are drunk on a beautiful island do. And also you get to sit around and make a goddamn massive grid logic puzzle with 20 couples on it and try and put them together at the end. And it shouldn't be as good as it is, but there have been nine seasons and eight of those nine seasons are as good as anything you are going to see. One of the seasons is meh because they didn't have any like sound people on it and i think the budget had been cut so they weren't right in. oh uh, and the prize is a million quid and sometimes nice. they don't win the million quid right because they didn't, yeah, they didn't get the perfect 10 set matches i, I genuinely recommend it if you have any interest in dating games or love island or anything like this it's like a much
0: better version of those that's really cool um Right. Um, great. And so if you want to reach us here at the show, you can reach us on Twitter at GlassOnionMin, all one word. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. And um, for this weekend, what should we ask them to do, Ollie? Hmm. Why not put it in a glass bottle
1: and drop it into a fountain in a shopping center. Mm. So a little message and then just have it float around and eventually somebody will pick it up and it's just a recommendation to listen to Glass Onion Minute.
0: Oh, I love it. That's that's actually doable unlike my normal cockamamie <laughs> ideas. And if you find um, one of those, tweet at Adil. Yeah. not not uh, That one you can probably tweet at at Glass Onion Minute but if you want to tweet at me uh, you can reach me at the Omniarch, TheOmniArch T-H-E-O-M-N-I-A-R-C-H that's what I'm on on all of the socials, including Blue Sky. Ooh. Um, I think I've not done anything but a couple re blues. I don't know what they call them <laughs> on that thing. It looks more like Twitter than Twitter does these days. Um, but I also uh, co host Tanked Up, the podcast, all about craft beer and video games. And you can reach us on the socials at Tanked Up Cast. But look up Tanked Up uh on all of the things uh all the podcasts it's pod and um you can even find us on youtube but if you just look up tanked up you will find an aquarium show which has better SEO than us um so <laughs> that'll do for us for today thanks again ollie um again stay tuned if you're ha- if you haven't watched the whole film th- then stop here uh if you're if you have and you want to hear our thoughts about the whole film and any spoilery thoughts uh stay tuned we'll give a couple well Darren will put a Blank. I don't know what he does, but um, <laughs> but we're about to stop, so we'll say bye now. Thanks again, Ollie. You've been great. Oh, absolutely
1: loved it, and I will definitely come back on if you want me again.
0: Perfect. Uh, so yeah, I've been Adil. and I've been Ollie. Bye. bye. But not really, because we're doing this whole spoiler <laughs> thing. But I figured I'd have the same ending. Look, I didn't structure it. Um, okay. <laughs> right. So. Um, yeah, and I, I will say I hope you return for the next one of these minute podcasts, whatever it will be. Hopefully, we'll maybe there'll be something in between uh, Knives Out three and this. Um, who knows? Yeah, I I, would, um, I
1: definitely will. Not not yeah. a problem. I'm always I always um, say to, to Darren that like I am so free with my time most of the time, and I don't sleep. So if anybody is ever short, they can just like give Ollie a shout. He'll pop in at the last minute and try and act like he knows what he's talking about. So it's good.
0: So. I'll keep that in mind, actually. Um, right, so I actually don't have a huge amount of spoiler things. I'll just say, so what did you think of the film overall and the ending? we'll, we'll go straight to the ending, unless there's a specific moment you wanted to talk about in um, the interim. I want to just talk a
1: little bit about uh, Mona Lisa and mm. how absolutely fantastic I thought the point where Mona Lisa gets destroyed is... And how Miles's face while that is happening just felt so cathartic to me because I want to be remembered like the Mona Lisa. And the entire movie, Mm. the entire movie is his dream of being remembered going up in smoke as he finally realizes it while the Mona Lisa is going up in smoke. And I just think it's really well done.
0: It's even juicier irony than that, because his exact turn of phrase is, I want my name to be said in the same breath as the Mona Lisa. that's
1: oh, even better.
0: And then it's like, yeah, because they're saying, <laughs> really? like, you remember the Mona Lisa? Yeah, that's that priceless painting uh, that Miles Braun burnt down on this stupid island with his crazy hydrogen fuel. Hmm. It's really good. Um, And so he gets his wish, but it's a monkey's paw.
1: (laughs) I always love good old monkey's paw situations. Um, Yeah, so I really enjoy that. I like the ending. Um, In comparison, can I compare it to Knives Out just a little bit? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I, think that's... And it's not something I I, I want to do because they they should be taken on their own merits as two different movies. I don't think it quite works as well as Knives Out. And I think the reason being is... What's the best way to describe this. Chris Evans's character. Um, God, his, his name is gone from me. It's like Chance or something wow. like this. Right? But he is such a good villain turn. In so much as. It's not even so much of a turn. Like he's just slightly better than the rest of them up until this point. He's still like a rich guy. But it's just this slight turn. Then you're like, right, I'm 100% on board with Anna Diarmas in this situation mm. now. Like, this guy is an absolute dipshit. He was trying to play everybody, and I am delighted he's getting caught. Um, and I think it's just such a brilliant ending to that movie. Whereas in this one, it doesn't feel as clean, if that makes sense, because all of them are bad. Like the entire lot of them are bad. All of them are complicit. All of them are part of effectively a conspiracy to hide it up. So all it then becomes is finding the MacGuffin and now I have proved it. Mm-hmm. And it feels less clean. But that, it, I, I don't want to say that that takes away from the movie as much. It's just that if you're expecting it to have that same sort of triumphant parlor scene like you have mm-hmm. at the end of, um, of Knives Out, it's not quite as good. But it's still a really enjoyable movie.
0: Yeah, I mean what I'll say about um so I actually think it just not just tonally, but like the moving parts just fit a lot better in Knives Out. Mm Um it's clearly going for a different type of ending, a cleaner type of ending, and I I think it's hard to follow like I get why you might not want to have it as like Jigsaw Puzzly where everything just fits to show difference in, in, in the movies, but I feel like it following knives out and being kind of looser. It's just hard not to be like, "Mm, not as good. It's hard to not take it on its own merits. And I think it's fine because it's two movies in a series. I think it's fine to, to draw those links. Uh, just, um, but I will say, um, what I, what you just said made me remind, reminded me of thing that I really liked about knives out, which is of course, uh, the character is Ransom. Ransom. I knew. I could not remember what it was. It was like yeah. Chance
1: or... Like, as I said, honesty. But, like, obviously it's not. It's Ransom.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. And it, it's great because um, what I like about the, the the through line is there's, like, the black sheep of the family called Ransom. Mm-hmm. And, it, and the big twist is the black sheep of the family called Ransom did the murder. <laughs> and he did it so that he could get access to money through a complicated lawyery thing right and it's like yes uh, like it's an inverse ransom right yeah and it's nice um, that it's like i'm hanging that lantern on it yeah and 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 like from the get in this movie you're like piles probably did it right And it's like well i can't it has to be something else and then you're like oh
1: <laughs> well when benoit says um He's a billionaire, and a tech billionaire wouldn't be stupid enough to carry out a murder of somebody he's a direct rivalry with, and that's why it's beautiful that it is. It's like, yeah. yeah, because we've just learned he's not that bright. He's actually quite slow.
0: Yeah, and it's so. I think that's the through line is if you think about ransom, the black sheep, and Miles, the tech billionaire. They're the they're actually on the face of it. Pretty clear and quickly, once you find out what the actual, like, crime is, right, um, they're the ones who did it. That's what you would just say. But to get there, you just are disabused of that notion only to get there in a different way. Uh, in Knives Out, it's a little more convoluted. You need to know more of the family dynamics and, like, this stuff. In, um, in Glass Onion, you just need to learn that Miles is a, just a dumb it's just a dumb shit, right? Yeah,
1: and that's that's why again and again, not to to compare it. This one is more of um, this one is more of uh, a mystery in the sense of we don't actually know what happened to Andy, whereas Knives mm. Out, they show us what happened to uh the old man corbin or whatever his name is right so they show that to us because harland, harland yeah we see it Harlan, why am i forgetting all the names said? we see it from anna's point of view she's there when he dies we he she's there when he cuts his own throat and says you know i'm going to end it here because she doesn't want or he doesn't want her to be implicated from the murder or to be seen as the person who's done it because she knows that she's innocent in this or he knows that he, she's innocent in this so we already know that and now we're piecing it back together to find out who actually switched the vials was it a malicious act was it just an accident that she made cuz she was tired cuz she was playing with the old man right and i i love that because that took the entirety of the the mystery and turned it on its head in the first movie whereas this one mm-hmm. it even though it's more convoluted, even though there's more possible parts in play, it's still a more straight down the line, straight down the middle mystery movie because we have a mystery. We don't know who killed her. We don't know why they killed her. We're trying to solve it. It actually does become more like a version of Clue. The other thing that I don't like quite as much tonally in this one, this one is going for broader strokes comedy in comparison to knives out and you know sometimes it doesn't land like but again that's just you know i'm not i'm well known as not being a massive comedy guy so it's you know probably just my preference of movie but yeah um having said all of that like i would recommend this to anybody to give it a watch it's it's fun it's a diverting two
0: hours yeah, I mean, I really like it. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, you might over my thoughts. The listeners, if they've listened to the other weeks, probably have. But just, I th- I think the... The catharsis that Helen gets from throwing the clear in the flyer or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, doesn't equate to the catharsis of the audience. And that's where I feel like the ending fails. Yeah. Um, because it's like... They might. They they sort of pledge that they'll say the right thing now. It doesn't matter. Who knows? And it's like, and we just end with like the fleet of cop boats. I think right. Yeah, they're just coming. popping up at the end, and they're sitting watching the boats coming in. Yeah, and it's like, um and there's not enough tether to figure out, find out what may or may not happen, which I think is the point of that scene, right? And I just, it makes it. It makes it kinda of end not like a mystery or a detective um movie. Except of course, as you pointed out, it works still because the 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 inversion of what the mystery was compared to Knives Out. It but it just I think it's not just the comparison. I think it's like Ryan Johnson in these movies does a really good job of like Subverting and leaning into tropes and I feel like this ending was a subversion that just didn't quite work, which is really unfortunate because it's the end. Yeah.
1: And that's I said it's really it's really well done, but just something is missing from it. Like it does as you said, there's no catharsis. And I don't feel for Helen as much as I did in the first movie. And I, and I think it maybe is just because. It almost feels like a silly action sequence at the end. Maybe. Like a little bit too much.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think also. The catharsis is, is the destruction of a billionaire's stuff. I think it's one of the problems. Right? Yeah. And like it, the clear... Like, you have to do the extra step of what this is kind of supposed to be representing is his empire crumbling, because, as we saw in our minutes, he's sinking... His a- ambition is has sunk the entirety of the company that he fought to get the entire company on into uh, Clear. And Clear has obviously failed, and this is like an, an emblematic of it failing, because, look, as soon as the bit of Clear hit the fire, so much Clear was in the, the house, the house is exploding. But it's just... It's a like it's a, it's a bit of a bridge too far like i know what you're doing i see yeah. all the moves they just don't hit and that's what i mean by it just doesn't, it doesn't click um and i think it's because um it's i think it's this action sequencing right you' you' she looks exhilarated because of the thing that's happening but we have to read the exhilaration as what it's metaphorically representing or about to happen afterwards and it just has enough of a dissonance that you're like She's also this happy bubbly person and it's like this vindictive I think that's the part of the distance too like Andy would love that it blew up. Yeah. Helen would she want to risk the lives of all these people who kind of did her did her sister dirty but she wasn't really interested in like Revenge. retribution. Like yeah. she's the one who to- tells um, Benoit look they all lied and perjured themselves. Right? But she didn't even say perjured themselves right she didn't like put the hat on this is how bad it was she just said you know miles did that was a damn lie it was a lie uh, and she was willing to break the company up for it or if she was willing to break up the company I, I gotta love her for that then miles it's a damn lie is what her sister says and then none of the other stuff does she say about the, uh, the other disruptors ben Ball's the one who says so the disruptors perjured themselves to destroy andy and um, Shield Miles. And she's like, yeah, like, she doesn't even say anything. She's not looking, she's not out for blood. So when they're all those lives are risked, it just doesn't. We have to read her as Andy's vengeance, kind of, I guess, yeah, or something. Yeah, like, and Andy's just, vengeance
1: has been wrath through her sister, kind of thing, or wrath through her sister. And, it, like, that's the thing. It's still good. Like, I don't want people listening to think that this is in some way myself or yourself coming down and saying this is a bad movie. It's still a fun movie. It's just it doesn't quite hang together and it doesn't quite have the same satisfying crunch of the ending. Um, a, this movie is kind of based, and I'm saying kind of in a generous way, on a movie called The Last of Sheila from, um, I think it's like 1973, 1974, which has an incredibly similar plot of... Uh, A rich guy invites a bunch of his old friends, some of whom he hasn't seen in years or hasn't been friends with in years, onto a yacht and they travel around and there's a murder that happens on the yacht. And all of the people on the yacht have motivations to kill off Sheila. All of the people have reasons for like... down to the secrets part, like they hand out like little uh, envelopes and each of them has a a secret in the envelope and you have to try and figure out whose secret is in the envelope and who is going to the trouble of doing this. And they're like damning levels of secrets, but they're all trying to keep them hidden. And each of them has a reason to keep the secret from another person. So one of them has one that he is, um, he's a pedophile. But another person had already known this for 10 years and had been covering for What he'd done, so they don't want that to be revealed. Does another one says had an affair, doesn't say who had the affair, who they had the affair with. Obviously, two of the people had the affair with each other, so they're both Mm. trying to cover up the secret. But somebody has masterminded this entire thing to try and bring it down. Now, in that movie, I I don't want to spoil it because I I genuinely recommend it. It's written. Oh, I'm gonna watch it, so please don't. It's really really well done the killer unlike Miles isn't so blatantly obvious Right, and who is behind it all even though when you watch it like you watch it and at the end you're like oh, I definitely thought it was him or her at 25 minutes in and then I completely negated them whereas at no right. point have I ever negated Miles in this movie and that's or Miles in this movie and I think yeah. that's the main difference from it so yeah for, if you're listening watch The, the Last of Sheila It's really well done, really well directed, really well acted. Um, So yeah, have a have a go at that, and then compare it to the last onion.
0: Great, yeah, I'm gonna have to look that up. Um, I will say this now explains the thing I asked way back in minute ten. Oh, a thing I meant to say earlier: the whole "I'm my Achilles' heel" thing is a callback to him sucking it among us, (laughs) in minute ten. But also, um, the last Sheila. Is written by Anthony Perkins and Stephen Sondheim. Who was yeah. in? The, he's at the very beginning. Playing, playing, playing. Yeah, playing, and play we time. when we were recording it, we couldn't figure out because like we've got.
1: Oh, why is why Sondheim
0: got, in the bath? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so except Karim Abdul Jabbar, I still don't know why he. What mystery he, he's connection in, he's in? He's in Fletch. Oh, of course. Yes, there we go. Those are the, yeah, we got there. I just can remember today. Yeah, so that that was the missing thing. Uh, we thought maybe it was just because we know Ryan Johnson and Stephen Sondheim are connected. But in fact, it's a call to this movie. Thanks so much. That's yeah. really great. And uh,
1: it's one of those... I Right, so I love 70s movies. Um, and it was referred to as the Golden Age and L'Enfant Terrible coming into... Because you had your copulas and your... your um, you had your you and your Lucas's and um, your Spielberg's coming into cinema. But there are so many great movies from the 70s, in particular political thrillers and just murder mysteries that, that came out in the time and they tend to get overlooked. So, for example, um, The Godfather Part 2 won Best Movie in 1975. It wasn't even the best movie Francis Ford Coppola made in 1974, which was The Conversation, which I to to this day, I still think is the best movie that's ever been made. It is peerless. There is nothing in that movie that is wasted at all every single scene is perfect and when you're finished it when you if, I, I'm not sure have you ever seen The Conversation Adil? I have yeah yeah so when when I finished that movie the first time I watched it I was in a cold sweat the same as the character was in a cold sweat and even though I knew he was having the breakdown I genuinely was sitting there going I, I'm paranoid for him like I what's going on and a movie like that to come out and then to almost be forgotten because Mm. other bigger, more famous movies come out at the same time and the 70s is full of things like that, like Three Days of the Condor. What a movie. Also great. But because it came out in the same year as French Connection, again, it's hard to argue with French Connection. (laughs) Like William Friedkin, like speaking of William Friedkin, Sorcerer came out the same year as um, Star Wars. It came out the same month as Star Wars. Nobody talks about Sorcerer. Sorcerer is an incredible movie. It's also not about a Sorcerer. It's about people. Um, it's a remake of Wages of Fear uh, where you're they're transporting hmm. nitroglycerin through the jungles of Colombia, I think it is. Uh, or Interesting. Maybe it's Guatemala. And um, It's been a long time since I saw it. But incredible movie. But forgotten because it came out within a month of Star Wars so right. stuff like this like if you if you get a chance just go back and look up like top 200 movies of the 70s and just give it a go mm. and you should see The Last of Sheila on that list because it's brilliant
0: great um, well we've we've blown past an hour and 15 minutes sorry now. Darren uh, sorry yeah Darren so uh, let, let's end it here uh, we'll, uh, we'll for those of you stuck with us for whatever this ends up being uh, lengthwise uh, thanks for sticking with us hope, hope this was illuminating and some great last minute 70s movie recommendations which I have <laughs> surreptitiously written down uh while you were talking uh, but thanks again Ollie this has been great I hope oh, to pod with you again in the future
1: yeah I uh, hopefully I'll come on on your beer podcast and Definitely. um and I'll you can talk about all these amazing craft beers and I'll be like sometimes it's just man just wants a silver bullet give me a curse light Ooh. <laughs>
0: uh, I mean I was having a, I had a Brooklyn lager during the recording of this it's fine it's good um you know I'm not pretentious yeah uh, I just realized yeah
1: if you can, and I'm not sure mm. if you will be able to in Durham or in, I think, because it's been, I'm not sure if they still serve it over in in Britland, as we call it. If you can get a good pint of harp on Oh, tap, harp is great. It is the best of the generic lagers. And mm. um, I was home recently in my home place in Monaghan in Ireland, where harp is still the biggest beer. And mm. God, it was just like nectar from the gods.
0: Uh, you've reminded me, because I've only had harp in North America. I'm not sure who, because often these beers are brewed by someone else. Um, so they taste yeah. a bit differently. Uh, so I'll have to track down a harp on this side of the pond. Uh, it's just because I really enjoyed it there. So it can only get, either either I really enjoy it, or it's even better than I really enjoyed it. Perfect. So that's great. Um, but yeah, thanks again. Um, and yeah, uh, I'll say bye again. I've been Adil. And I've been Ali. Bye.